You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. Welcome to the JCN Clinic podcast show. I'm Jessica, and today I'm joined by Eloise Hine, who is one of our new practitioners at the JCN Clinic. Hey, Eloise. Hello. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm so pumped to do this episode because today Eloise is going to be sharing her background, her health story what led her to nutrition um, and it'll be quite an organic chat um, and Eloise and I really have only just gotten to know each other over the last month or so. I'm bad with time. I'm just going to throw a month or yeah. so on that. Does that sound about right? It's gone so quick. Yeah, around that time. Yeah. 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 But it has gone quick and there's been a lot that we've covered. That's it. <laughs> so I, I know a little, but this is also going to be new to my ears as well. Um, so it's going to be, yeah, a really interesting chat. So I thought I thought we'd get started by first, we will dive into your background deeper, but I, I thought first just a little bit about how long you've been a nutritionist for. Sure. Um, so I've got eight years clinical experience. Um, obviously, I've had my family in between that time. So I've, I've actually been in the industry for a lot longer. So I started studying um, back in 2009. So um, did my studies, always kind of had my finger in the industry here and there. But so it's, I've been in, I've been in the industry for a long time, but eight years clinical practice, loved every minute of it. I definitely feel like life skills has contributed to that greatly, um, which has assisted, I think, the way that I approach my clients with their health goals, mm-hmm. um, having that kind of just lifestyle experience, I think, really adds to how you support somebody, whether it's female or, you know, children, etc. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I feel like when it comes to nutrition and I feel like actually practitioners in general there's a bit of a commonality where something has brought us to Mm. nutrition or to naturopathy and it's not always the case like it's been interesting over the years hearing everyone's backstory but it it is relatively common so yeah like I'm I'd love to start there like what was your igniting fire what was the catalyst like what led you to start down this um journey as such yeah look it definitely wasn't something that was on the cards for me in my late teens um but I grew up in a fairly I'll say healthy family my mum was always very into food cooking was such a part of my life looking back on it now even as a young girl I was always in the kitchen cooking so really had a passion for food from a young age but it was particularly sort of when I'd hit my teenage years where you know you start to get your menstrual cycle and that's when those typical issues started to arise for me um 
but they were quite severe. So I suffered migraines pretty much from the age of 16 to 20. Um, naturally, you know, I think you go down all the avenues of trying to find an answer. Nothing really kind of hit the spot with anything definitive as to what was going on. So I'd always in the back of my mind had this, well, was it hormones? Is there some kind of imbalance? Um, then, um, you know, along with my mother's um, inspiration, she was really into Ayurvedic medicine. So I'd kind of gone down that road and really made dietary changes and kind of cured myself in that sense that I wasn't getting those triggers. There was, I didn't need to have kind of that medication approach um, to treatment. Um, Then in my early twenties, I went and saw a naturopath and I was just in awe of what they were able to access with a textbook. Um, So I originally started to study naturopathy and absolutely loved it. Loved the treatment approach of, you know, assessing the whole body first, do no harm But then I got three years into it and I was obsessed with biochemistry and how nutrients played a a role in the body. So I just gravitated towards that. And so I didn't finish in naturopathy and finished in nutritional medicine. And kind of it's just been, yeah, it's all been food and nutrition and um, how that works in the body from there. So, yeah, it's it's Mm. I don't have I don't have migraines anymore. It's not something that I. I've suffer. Um, so going back to, you know, those times, it's kind of, you get those clients and you think, yeah, I was, I was at that age. I did suffer through those. Um, having that experience really, I think was a pivotal time for me to be like, I really want to help other people get through this. Mm. Um, and how much diet and lifestyle can be a huge factor in a treatment approach for you. Yeah, for sure. So you, you and also interestingly, it sounds like you came from a family that was more open and potentially embedded in natural medicine. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Mum was um, at the time really into kind of traditional Chinese medicine, and then you know that kind of led into seeing where the Ayurvedic um, mode went. She was a yoga teacher, so I think naturally. I was raised that way to kind of look into things a little Mm. bit more um, and to try different things and, and see if there was any kind of connection. So I would, I feel very blessed that I was raised that way. Um, But it definitely had lots of years where, yeah, migraines, getting all the testing done, different medications that really did nothing at all. Um, And then, you know, in hindsight, looking back on it, realizing there was such a huge hormonal component to it, which was never explained, Mm. was really not a focus of anyone's treatment approach um, back then. So being able to connect the dots now is something I'm really passionate about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, it's interesting you having that, um, I guess, family guidance there too, because I think you talk to... And you see it with clients, but then even talking to some of the practitioners at the clinic, like a lot of them have done that more sort of standardized medicine approach, but yeah. haven't had any sort of opening to it outside of that from a, a family point yeah. of view, um, like it's been kind of finding it yourself. So it almost yeah. to me sounds like because... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost sounds like 
you were able to explore that a little earlier than maybe you might even see with your own clients because it was something that was open to you or like kind of on the table. Like I know even for myself, like I didn't even really think anything like that was an option at that age. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think um, having that conversation and having that um, support, you know, that there was other options and that we would go down that road and, you know, see if anything made a difference. And it absolutely did. And yeah, I definitely... Um, in your initial sort of set of questions was who is your inspiration? I do have to say my mother because mm-hmm. she's she's the proof in the pudding. You know, she's fit as a fiddle. She's always put her health above everything else, and you can you can see that as a as a daughter, but also as a practitioner of you know you put in that effort and the hard yards of how well you can support yourself through life. So um, yeah, I'm very grateful that that was supported as a young age mm, that's so lovely and then I'm obviously passing it on to my other for my four children as well <laughs> much to their dismay sometimes when mum's not on board with everyone else's um dietary styles <laughs> and how so, do yeah. you I mean I've got some um other questions that I'll come back to but just off that like how do you find now just sort of being jumping ahead navigating nutrition in the family with kids and like everything that you you know and how you ideally want your kids to eat and then their own little personalities. Yeah. I always think with um, our industry, it must be like extra challenging with your nutritionist hat oh. and then like trying to like <laughs> so take that off if you can. It is. And I almost think it's probably one of my greatest lessons in life, you know, aside mm. from you know, like even as a practitioner, it brings so many, a skill set into this because it's 2023, you know, you've got factors and influences from every which way, whether it's on TV, advertising, kids at school, there's so many different elements of letting them fit in, not causing them any um, over, over thought processes with regards to food. And I kind of, it was really hard initially because you, you finish your qualification, you come out, everything's from a textbook, but how do you apply it to this life that we're creating? So I try and kind of scale it back and keep it quite simplistic and think, okay, well, there were times where I grew up as a kid, everything was kind of quite, I don't want to say balanced, but it was still accessible to us. So I try not to kind of emphasize that this is bad or this is good, or you're not allowed this. I just kind of keep it quite consistent at home that you know, we eat well for various reasons um, and try and be the leader for them. But also I'm still very understandable that they're kids and, Mm. you know, there's stuff that they want to have because their friends have. And Halloween was around the corner was recently. That's always a bit of a challenging one for me. (laughs) Um, But I, I, I let them do that to be a part of it so they're not excluded from stuff and they don't kind of um you know then want to go the other way and absolutely gorge and everything which can can be the flip side of having maybe a practitioner as a mum who Mm -hmm. knows too much yeah so true I have um I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast at some point but I have a very close friend who was brought up with very strict parents around 
not so much nutrition. I think it was more naturopathy and some other modalities, but they were, they were very stereotypically hippie. Um, and, but yeah, the food was pretty extreme and until he was maybe mid teens, he thought that ice cream was cottage cheese in a cone. Like that's all he'd ever had. (laughs) He just got to his, yeah, mid teens and rebelled. Um, yeah, yeah. And just completely went the opposite way. And I know that's not actually, that's when I mentioned it. We had Brad Leach on the podcast quite a few episodes ago and he grew up in a very healthy family. And I asked him like, have you ever felt, a sense of wanting to rebel and he hadn't. And mm. I just thought that was interesting because yeah. And obviously everyone's different, but for my friend, it was just like, what ice cream is this yeah. stuff? Not cottage cheese and a cone. And then it was all on. <laughs> yeah. Look, I have tried to pass a couple of things as something <laughs> else over the years, um, you know, but I've definitely relaxed more because I think, you know, you also, you're trying to, instill values but Mm. they also have to learn to grow to make their own choices and whether that's you know if they're going to come across soft drink over the years or lollies you know and just picking and choosing maybe better food options yeah um I think is a better approach than being super strict with it but yeah yeah my daughter sometimes goes oh you're just so healthy and I'm thinking okay (laughs) this is just who I am (laughs) Um, but that's probably because, you know, she doesn't get what she wants, but you can't always have what you want. No, and, you know, that's exactly. my job to, to guide them into better choices. <laughs> <laughs> so I just so, want to yeah. jump back to your, um, progression. Like you talked about getting into like medications and so forth, right back to with the migraines and then obviously that pathway. But you said you started changing your diet um, and what a profound effect that had. Um, I was curious, like two, two questions around that, like with the diet, was it radical changes that you found you had to make? And then two, I was curious because of the time frame here, because it was quite a while ago, whether there was, and Mm. you mentioned hormones, like whether at that point you ever did any testing because I feel like testing wasn't even in our space as common no definitely no testing um and you know that was sort of something that I think sat with me it's like okay well how do we how do we figure out what this a perfect hormone picture is meant to look like so that was that would have been sort of really 15 years Mm. of no understanding whatsoever about it um and, you know, this probably would have been in my 19 or my 20s. So then, but I have to say I was vegetarian from a young age. Oh, um, okay. And whether that was, um, you know, on those kind of pivotal times where your body kind of really needs those nutrients coming from, you know, various B12, et cetera, I, I was lacking in all of that mm. um, for when I first started my menstrual cycle, probably until I was maybe 20, 21. Mm-hmm. Um, so things changed. I started eating red meat. I never really had an overly huge processed diet, but I just think possibly having those added nutrients through my body really helped me. Um, later down the track, I've also found out, you know, with genetic testing that I'm MTHFR. So just needing that different form of, um, folate and then also the cofactors that come 
you know. So with my diet, I think leading into that style of Ayurvedic cooking, you know, you're specifically focusing on legumes, very robust vegetarian kind of meals. Mm. Um, you know, there were specific foods that were focused for me and where I was, whether it was a pit of kapha, but, you know, they're all very nutrient dense. There's lots of herbs, lots of spices. Um, and noticed and straight away just everything felt better. Wow. Everything kind of whether it was that headspace um, in your early 20s, um, yeah, it was it was a game changer for me. Um, whether it was you know just making sure that liver was really supported, mm. um, all of those factors really helped me feel better. So, so you didn't actually cut anything out. Like it wasn't like, oh, I've cut out gluten. Or... I did cut out dairy. Yeah. So then I went down that soy bandwagon for a while. Yeah. Um, I did kind of try everything. Gluten free wasn't. Um, on the cards back then, didn't really kind of have mm. a, an idea about that, but definitely um, dairy-free. That would have been about three or four years that I'd cut out of my diet mm-hmm. um, and then a real focus on those fruits and vegetables and then incorporating the meat back into the diet was a big change for me. Mm. Yeah, that's what I'm picking up. Like it sounds more so, that's why I asked like about other foods that were potentially cut mm. out as far as whether there was other contributing factors, but it almost sounds like it was more of the Ayurvedic sort of changes that you made, but also like the nutrition density and like for your body having the meat and the B12 and like just filling up your nutritional pool more, um, which is fascinating. Like, cause I feel like a lot of there's a, and for a good reason, but there's a lot of um, stories around health where it was like, Oh, I felt really crappy. And then I cut out, gluten or I cut out dairy and that's all I had to do um and I'm not saying that those aren't really valid for um you know a lot of people but I think yours yeah your your dietary changes are really quite interesting from like a purely nutritional uh point of view Mm. yeah and you know even you know like the foods that you kind of typically cook with with Ayurvedic style foods you know your ghee all your Mm. spices they're all quite, you know, they're anti-inflammatory. Yeah. There's so many different kind of nutrients through there. And, yes, and straight away I just felt so much better. So that kind of really led me down the path of, okay, well, but also in the same breath I was also kind of 15, 16, 17. It's hard to kind of mm. get that real kind of not perfect style of eating but even kind of even an awareness about, those foods that you were eating at that time, whether it was, um, you know, high sugar packaged, I'm trying to kind of remember far that far back now. <laughs> <laughs> um, it can get a yeah. bit like that, can't it? <laughs> yeah. I feel like, God, oh, that was so long ago, but yeah, definitely. Um, my, ch- style of eating changed and it just Mm. made a world of good for me yeah and yeah testing I gather like yeah wouldn't have been anything from a test point of view at that point no I don't really even feel like there was a whole lot of focus on hormonal testing Mm. it was that stock standard approach of going on the pill and Mm. that was the contraceptive pill that was essentially there to well we now know balance is negate 
any kind of thing to, you know, subside your symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, that kind of led me down the track of I did suffer through depression. I did suffer through just not feeling myself very flat, anxious. And straight away, as soon as I had it, I was like, this doesn't, this doesn't agree with me. Um, You know, you let that sit for a couple of months naturally your intuition goes hang on that doesn't feel right Mm -hmm. okay the doctor suggested another one I think I gave it maybe two years and I just said no this isn't the way for me um and then sort of started my own research on how do I support that side of your cycle for um you know as a contraception what can I do to to get that box ticked but then you know supporting myself so I don't have to go on that um that was kind of that was my little project in my early 20s Mm -hmm. we used to try and find every book possible to understand a bit more about how that whole area worked as far as like natural contraception and being able to have options outside of the pill yeah definitely um and there wasn't a lot of options back then I've got to say you know that was early 2000s um but yeah, it, it really just was my jam. I love to understand about it and never went on the pill again, never kind of went down that road of any contraception. Um, so yeah. I imagine that, really that would have me. put you quite in like doing that research on your own and learning about your cycle. And obviously from a contraception point of view, a lot about your fertility, um, it would have yeah. put you very heavily in touch with your own body, but also understanding your cycle and the female cycle, menstrual cycle yeah. overall, which I think again is yeah. obviously, yeah, so valuable. And as a young woman, something that most like the average woman off the street wouldn't have a clue about, like it's quite empowering yes. to know that information. Yeah. It's so empowering. And I think that's definitely a, a passion side of how I practice because even now you know this is 15 years later even 20 sorry 20 years later it's sort of started to come up now you know there's a lot of focus on social media and different apps like Mm. flow or you know but it's not something that I think kids are taught in high school Mm. which you know as as a mother of I have a daughter and three boys that this is something that I'll be really focusing on so she can kind of be more body literate with Mm -hmm. what is going on for her but um, it's an interesting kind of path how I've gone through that, but then my own fertility journey, which I'd never mentioned to you, but it's sort of something that is quite, um, it was a journey for me, like very into my cycle and knew where I was at, but I suffered so many miscarriages. Oh, okay. Um, and so that was kind of led me down into my next kind of genetic testing and into the whole MTHFR oh. and really kind of understanding, um, my detox pathways and really focusing on my foods, but maybe we'll have to save that for another one if, uh, yeah. if you want to. No, for sure. Um, yeah. If you're comfortable to talk about it. Yeah. And it, it even now looking back on it, because obviously I've completed my family, but being a practitioner and having this skill set and this understanding of how we see it or as to what we can do to support it, but then you're still needing assistance with, um, you know, mainstream medicine, how we're still not kind of crossing over and really talking to each other about what we can both do mm-hmm. to help, which I even still now, it still baffles me mm-hmm. that there is such a lack of 
a crossover between research or you know treatment um treatment approaches to it you know mm-hmm. so it's yeah I'd, I'd love to maybe talk about that another time um but yeah that was another journey interesting journey with my cycle yeah for sure <laughs> Was, if you don't mind me asking just now, like, I'm just curious, is that, was that more prior to you had any of your kids or was it throughout the process of having your kids? Um, this, so yeah, prior and then in the middle of as well. Um, but obviously the middle ones, I was a little bit older as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was a big journey. Um, but I was determined to. I was treated myself through the whole thing and I really supported myself. Um, and even while it was the complete opposite of what I was told, you know, I was still being told to take upwards of five milligrams of folic acid a day, you know, mm-hmm. um, wow. which I'm sure even you just hearing that yeah. you're like, Whoa, okay. Yeah. Where do we, where do we go with this? So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was before I'd, I'd think I'd had, and because, of course, you can't get any testing done until you've had three consecutive miscarriages. So this is, so I'd had to go through, I had to go through that first before wow. they started to really investigate what was going on. Yeah. So, yeah, wow. um, perfect timing to start my journey as a practitioner. Yes. And like how, yeah, how much of another kind of experience that is for you to bring to being a practitioner I like to have that yeah ex- experience and de- and all, but the depth of knowledge that you would have that you could share from a practice point of view Absolutely, let alone the empathy yeah. yeah yeah look I can, I can talk about it okay now and I think probably 10 years ago I I, I might not have been so open about mm. it because it wasn't something that people really spoke about but there's you know whether it's you know, people who've got a really high following on Instagram, you know, there's a whole lot more dialogue out there about this space. Um, I haven't heard a lot of practitioners being open about Mm. their journey with it. And I thought there's probably something I should share because I think sometimes you think, oh, well, you're so healthy. How did you go through that? Mm. That sometimes there's just other factors going on deep down inside of our body that we miss, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, you know, going and doing that testing, now that it's available is the best, the best thing that we can do, I think. Yeah, no, let's, I'd love to do that. I think it's a really important topic. And as you said, I don't think there's enough talk even in our space. Um, And it's something that is so common (laughs) that we see in clinic. So common. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that, you know, it's sort of part of, part of what you're just referring to, but with your own health and your own challenges and then going through your studies as well like how has that shaped you in your practice like all of that coming together like how has it sort of shaped you in how you practice and and what you love to do yeah I think um you know the combination of both of them I think there's there is a level of empathy with someone also struggling, you know, or someone that's got children that, and they're busy, you know, it's that kind of that experience that I'm drawing in that I think really supports the clients that I'm seeing. There's a level of relatability that I think as a practitioner is important. So you're not sort of setting yourself aside that you're, 
you know, you're going to be too critical of them. You know, we, we're all human beings. We all have really busy lives. It's trying to make these health changes as accessible for each individual person, which I feel like given my experience over the last 15 years, I think has definitely placed me in a good position to be able to do that. Um, and then also the driving force of really getting into something and really understanding the science behind or the test results, I think it's it's not obsessive, but it becomes part of you that you just really want to know the nitty gritty. And I'm sure even, you know, when we went over those cabiome, um, it's, it's a, it's addictive. <laughs> you, you get a, you get a taste of it and um, you're yeah, helping someone and getting success for them is it's kind of the greatest gift you can give someone because it's a general well-being and genuinely feeling good, mm-hmm. which is a great, great thing to be able to offer someone. Just interrupting the show for a moment, guys, to tell you about our revamped Real Food Reset Plan. This is one of our most popular plans that you can purchase on our online shop on the website. It's been designed by clinical nutritionists and it provides a two-week rotational seven-day plan that we encourage you to follow for a minimum of four weeks. All of the recipes are delicious. They are macronutrient balanced. And essentially this is about helping you navigate the overwhelming task of getting started with eating whole foods. There's loads of veggies, fiber, whole grains, proteins, omega-3s, all of those big areas that we talk to you about a lot on the podcast and within JCN. So it's really about getting those beautiful nourishing foods into you, supporting your natural detoxification, getting your energy up, supporting digestion, and even that brain and mental clarity. So if you'd like to try The Real Food Reset, we recommend jumping onto the website. It's only $39.95, which we think is pretty crazy, but we love the idea of this as a Kickstarter or a taste of what we do at JCN. Or maybe you're a client who's just like, yeah, I'd love some more recipes, or I'd like to play around with a little bit more structure for a while with a plan. This is for you. So again, head to jessicacox.com.au to our online shop and get your copy of the real food reset plan today yeah it's so true there's nothing that's i don't think no matter how many years you've been doing what you've been doing there's nothing like that feeling it's not like yeah it dampens it just continues to be a beautiful feeling to to see someone feel better for them to express that they feel better like it yeah there's nothing like that feeling is there there's nothing like it. You know, sometimes people say, oh, you're so busy with your kids. And I'm like, yeah, but if you have ever had this experience of helping someone with something that is really hindering their everyday life, it it is just, yeah, you, you can't walk away from something like that. It's, it's, um, it's hard to move past and not ever try that again. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and what about like the, the sort of potential of, focal areas like I think with again what we do it's it's a hard one because it's so broad particularly when it comes to nutrition but do you do you have a natural pull towards hormones because of what you're being through yourself like do you have a natural pull towards like I guess the 
nutrition, particularly from a kid's perspective as well? Like are there, yeah, yeah, like what are those, if you, if you had to say those sort of like burning areas that you love, um, Mm. And I know it's hard because, and then everything's interrelated. (laughs) Everything is interrelated. In my head, I'm going, oh yeah, young kids, food sensitivities, (laughs) um, you know, behavioral stuff. But then also, you know, like those different age groups of tweens as well, Mm -hmm. you know, that's such a missed part of, um, and that's probably specific because I'm I'm there right now, Mm. but you know, like supporting their kind of journeys with their own hormonal changes. Um, Teens, hormones, um, definitely hormones from even, um, you know, women who have, young women who have just come off the pill, that PCOS, Mm -hmm. coming into that fertility, pregnancy, postnatal, Mm -hmm. um, perimenopause. um, But then they, they could all be linked with kind of, you know, that mental health aspect of it as well, which kind of crosses over then with the gut. So, yeah. All of the above. <laughs> it's so true. Do you know, I love hearing you just showing above. like the complexity and extent, even though of the hormones there. Like, I don't think I've ever heard this sort of shows again, your own experience with your mm. own health, but also where you're at with your kids. Um, talking about hormones from like a young teen age. Like mm. I don't, I, and I think that's a really, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Cause I think it's such a, valuable space that so many um like parents could do with help and guidance with for their kids but probably don't even think about it um totally yeah like wouldn't even consider it I wish I had that as a teenager I think it would have made a huge difference to have had guidance from someone like yourself to be honest (laughs) Yeah, it's it's another space that I think is it's often missed. And I think, you know, it's it's like when we talk about the perimenopause, why wait till you're in menopause to kind of mm. try and make those changes when and I think sometimes with the tween space, it's that's kind of where I'm at. Well, how do we support their little nervous system or even even, you know, their body's way that it's excreting? Um, you know, are there little gentle things that we can do for them at home mm. or offer some suggestions about what they're using on their skin. And, you know, this one's a massive one that I think is often overlooked because, you know, they're getting cheap stuff from the shops, people giving them everything. It all kind of plays a factor in how their body's being exposed to this um, extra layers of endocrine disruptors, which is massive at this particular age, I think. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely something I'm... I'm quite passionate yeah. about because I do, you do see a big, um, this is where these headaches start for young girls yeah. is just kind of before they reach their, um, you know, through puberty. And now girls are going through that much, much earlier than what mm-hmm. our generation did, which is just a whole nother, um, possible pod- podcast. Yeah. So true. What would you also say too? I was thinking as you're talking about that, Say there's people listening who are like, oh, my God, I would love to take my daughter or my son along to talk to someone like Eloise. Like, what would you say to them as far as it being the right time? And I guess to give it context, when we have, sometimes we'll have parents come with their teenager to the clinic and you can tell that 
the teenager just doesn't want to be there. They're just like they're not yep. interested. They're sitting there. Yep. Rochelle's got this funny story of <laughs> someone sitting with their hands crossed, slumped down in the chair. <laughs> just that was me. I remember <laughs> yeah. being like that. <laughs> like, how do you how do you approach that? Like, as a parent, you know, obviously you want the best for your kid. Like, how do you how do you approach that to get them interested or is there a point where like you don't that's interesting you're saying that was you because you still went on and you made change so yeah how do you how do you figure yeah. that out I think it really depends of and 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 when I do have someone that books in an appointment for their child it depends on the age I say you know is your child would they be open to it do they would mm. like to sit in with this conversation and we'll sit on a zoom or face to face and I can include them in the conversation and make it make the focal point quite relatable to them, whether I'm talking to them like one of my my kids' friends, you know, being really quite, I guess, relatable. Um, but also I've had um, teenagers where the mum doesn't come and I'm just sitting there and, and I kind of bring in snack ideas for them that I can use as, as like a prop, I suppose, um, and really kind of get down to the nitty-gritty of how they start their day or what they like to eat and then do the subtle, oh, look, this would be really good for you. And I think most of the time when they're coming to see you, they know that there's something that they want to feel better about. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it's just a simple change of swapping a breakfast, let's just kind of focus on that and kind of really tailor that as well as we can. And then it might take a little bit longer, but just little bit longer for their little brains to kind of adapt because this is a whole new world for them and they might not even notice that they feel like that just yet yeah so true yeah um and if they're not kind of open to it well I think it's all the resources that you can offer for the parent to take home and use in their own time of when they find it appropriate that's a good idea too that's a really good idea you know because I just think sometimes it's yeah it's meeting you see it even with like adults as well like maybe with and it's always with good intention but it might be someone wanting to bring their they're having a really great experience like I really want my husband to see you I want you know whoever it is but they genuinely aren't interested (laughs) in really cut that's kind of almost (laughs) like they've been forced into it by a loved one and then yes it's I I think with adults I always say you know you you have to want to do this yourself but it I can see where it's a lot harder um yeah with with kids and with teenagers so yeah Yeah. it's just interesting to get that feedback yeah and I think you know being a bit mindful that it can take that little bit longer but you know, whether you're sharing stuff that you can find on social media that they kind of go, oh yeah, that's okay. I think trying to be that little bit relatable with them or whether you're talking about your own personal journey of being a teenager yourself, um, you know, whether you're kind of feeling flat, you know, and just highlighting those if they are kind of having, you know, soft drinks or high sugared breakfast, you know, well, what can we do? Do you love sport? Do How do you feel when you're exercising? If you, you know, I think just picking and choosing the right entry point Mm -hmm. I think is is important with kids yeah yeah that makes sense relating yeah entry points and relatability to things that they enjoy in their life like a sport or something the like yeah yeah (laughs) excellent so (laughs) is there anything else that you wanted to share today in regard to 
your story or anything else about your clinical experience to date obviously I'd love 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 to do another podcast where we could talk more about the hormones and if yeah you're happy to share your journey around miscarriage and and kids like I know listeners would get so much from that and be appreciative but that aside is there anything else that you wanted to add um I think I'll add, you know, we we went over our kind of brief questions. Um, I think I'm definitely a practitioner that, you know, obviously as a nutritionist, you know, you really focus on food, but even coming into this clinic and just really, you know, the use of testing is so important with a treatment plan. I think sometimes, you know, we try try not to use it if we don't have to, but if it's kind of suggested, you know, you think you've got these definitive answers that they're so crucial in a a starting point of how you can help somebody. Um, So I definitely do love to use functional testing where necessary. And I think generally if you're coming to see someone, you're wanting to see results. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, yeah, I think I do, I do love to do testing. So hopefully... (laughs) I definitely think with your clinic, you know, people are understanding that that is a focus for you. Mm -hmm, For Um, sure. And obviously the practitioners that, you know, you obviously bring on board, it is for them as well. Um, But I'm also very realistic and I think it comes back to that skill set of life experience. You know, there's an understanding of whether it's busyness or, you know, budget, you know, everything comes into play. Um, and then if that the treatment approach of using testing isn't something that is feasible for you, well, we'll find other ways to kind of make it work and, you know, go another approach. So, but it is always very focused on where, where they're at financially, emotionally, um, you know, and their capacity, I think, to, to make it work for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love hearing that. Like it's just, yeah, it's it's the most, um, I think, important aspect of being a really, well, there's so many aspects to being a good practitioner, but I think what that highlights is just really listening to where a client's at and meeting them with what what they can do and having that adaptability to work with the client situation. yeah. And I was just—I was also thinking, as a side note, when you were talking about functional testing and your love of hormones, I was thinking about you as a you, younger you, like going through like books and working everything <laughs> yeah. out with the cycle, like how much your like brain must love hormone tests, like all the functional hormone <laughs> testing yeah. now. It's just like, the best thing ever. <laughs> Totally. Like imagine, I don't know when the Dutch test came out. It surely would have been. It's been a while now. I'm bad with time, but. Over a decade or, but, you know, because it was from America, you know, you're, and back then integrative medicine wasn't as meshed well together, you know, Mm -hmm. like I think in the US, you know, that was part of kind of the way that their healthcare system well, not the healthcare system, but that kind of practitioners. But I feel like it took a lot longer for it to come here. Is that mm-hmm. your kind of understanding yeah. about it as well? Yeah, you know, sure. we're very slow on the uptake, but I'm sure maybe the Dutch test was around for 15 years, but it was not in my realm or even, oh, that's my battery alerting me. Um, 
So, yeah, you know, like in an ideal world as a practitioner, you'd be like, yes, let's do this test, this test, this test. (laughs) But that's not always feasible for um, everyone in their case, whether it's kids or adults or whatever. So, but the option's there and it's, it's amazing to have those tools. Yeah, so true. And even for kids too, like with you mentioning that, like the most of those tests, if it's applicable, can be yes. so helpful for kids. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. hormones little different, like as far as like the age bracket for the Dutch, but yeah, yeah sure. all of the stool and the um, oh, oat and the stool, it's like the best thing for them. At- yeah. Yeah. So good. <laughs> <laughs> I hope my battery doesn't go. So if, well, it, I, think, if I disappear. Yeah, no, we're good. We're, we're all done and we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, where okay. can, where can people find you on socials? So I'm the nutritionist underscore kitchen. Um, my website is www.thenutritionistkitchen.com.au. I'm at the JCN clinic on a Wednesday in person and telehealth and hopefully to be there for more days in the future in 2024. Absolutely. (laughs) And I'll put those details in the description too of the podcast so people can go down and have a little click. But yeah, this has been great. Thank you so much for sharing. Like I know it's a lot to just open yourself up and be a little bit more vulnerable. So I totally appreciate it. No, I'm an open book. I'm happy to answer any questions. So thanks for having me and um, making it so effortless. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, thank you You're everyone for thank you. listening and yeah, thanks again, Eloise. And we'll chat to you next time. Bye. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye.